Mr. President. The majority leader. The senator is impugning the motive and conduct of our colleague from Alabama as warned by the chair. Senator Warren, quote, said Senator Sessions has used the awesome power of his office to chill the free exercise of the vote by black citizens. I call the senator to order under the provisions of Rule 19. Mr. President. The senator from Massachusetts. Mr. President, I am surprised that the words of Coretta Scott King are not suitable for debate in the United States Senate. I ask leave of the Senate to continue my remarks. Is there objection? Object. I appeal the ruling. Objection is heard. The senator will take her seat. I appeal the ruling of the chair, and I suggest the absence of a quorum. This is Enlighten Me. I am your host, Andrea Cameron. And on this eighth day of Black History, on today's program, like I said again, it's Black History Month all month on Enlighten Me. And for today's program, we're going local. Jason Green, the co-producer of the Quince Orchard Project, will talk about how communities evolve over time. Quince Orchard is a community in Maryland, and they've had several changes It was once a thriving African-American community. It has now changed demographics. And he'll talk about how it has changed, why it has changed, and if it has changed for the better. So I'm excited to talk to him today. I'm excited to hear what he has to say and and what, you know, he has to say as a fifth-generation descendant of people in Quince Orchard. His family comes from Quince Orchard. He still lives there today. And he will talk about what's going on and how that community carries on the memories within its few surviving members. Uh, And I hope you guys look at the film, The Quince Orchard Project, and its release after it is finished. It is sure to be a really uh, engaging project. However, today, the audio that was playing in the beginning was Senator Elizabeth Warren. She was silenced on the Senate And there's been some dust up in the aftermath. Democrats came in defense of Senator Elizabeth Warren and um, her reading of uh, Coretta Scott King's letter. So our guest is patiently waiting. Uh, And so when we come back from break, we will talk to Jason Green. He has a local project out on the community of Quince Orchard. And I am so interested to hear his take and what the film is about and how uh, he came to find out about the community that his family was a part of so many years ago. All right. When we return on Enlighten Me, we will talk to Jason Green. You are listening to WERALP 96.7 FM. Wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. No more back to thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, war, and poverty. Oh. 
You are listening to WERALP 96.7 FM. This is Enlighten Me. I am your host, Andrea Cambron. And on the program today, Jason Green. He is an attorney, author, political strategist, and entrepreneur who is dedicated to empowering individuals and communities. He served in several capacities in the first term of the Obama administration and the 2008 campaign, including associate counsel to the president and national voter registration director. Green, a graduate of Washington University in St. Louis and Yale Law School, serves on a number of local advisory boards, a fifth-generation descendant of Quince Orchard, Maryland. Green recognizes that he would not have been afforded the opportunities he has but for the sacrifices of those forward-thinking few in Quince Orchard. And he has a project called the Quince Orchard Project. This is something that he discovered after he talked to his grandmother. And I'm so glad to have him on the program today. Jason, thank you so much for joining me on Enlighten Me. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me a little bit about this project. This is something that you discovered after kind of just talking with relatives, right? Absolutely right. So my then 95-year-old grandmother, who's been the matriarch of our family, and it seems like the matriarch of Quince Orchard as long as I can remember, <laughs> uh, I, I grew up in Quince Orchard. Uh-huh. I went to Quince Orchard High School. I grew up walking up and down Quince Orchard Road. But when I grew up, you know, Quince Orchard was Gaithersburg. Yeah. And, and now it's in North Potomac, for those that are familiar with that area. Um, and it, it was I was working in the White House. I was associate counsel to President Obama, as you mentioned, and my grandmother got sick. So we've always been very close. She introduced me to this idea of service when I was like four or five years old. So very, very close family. And she got sick, and I had been wanting to tell her story uh, for a long time and embarrassingly hadn't done much on the project. Mm -hmm. So this was a a warning signal. And so I went to the hospital. My sister and I uh, went to her hospital room and started sitting with her and just asking questions. You know, questions you don't get to ask family members anymore. Yeah. Who's the first person you kiss? Uh, you know, what was it like going to school in this area? She was also born in Quince Orchard. And it was in and through those conversations that we came to learn that Quince Orchard was a place, uh, that our family had played a role in, in sort of this community coming to be. And then the story that the film's ultimately about, which, which we can talk about, which is how her church uh, was faced with a decision in the 60s about its own future. Yeah. And that that happened with a lot of communities over time that have changed demographics. You know, you you've got these uh, statues and these you know pillars in the community. Uh, the church being one of them for the African American community. And what happens when those demographics change through time? Uh, when those community spaces uh, become something that is is not a part of the the community. Absolutely. And so what you were seeing in Quince Orchard, which you, know, you wouldn't guess it from its current demographics, but was had this very strong black nucleus. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, growing up from from our, our, you know, sort of our, our cultural roots, there was a white population in Quince Orchard as well. And what I found so interesting is that um, in their sort of world daily lives, they had a very interdependent, though segregated, a very interdependent relationship. And so mm. you, you then look forward through history, and then in the 1960s, when these three racially segregated churches, which really sort of demonstrate the the schisms of our society, you had a a northern Methodist white congregation, a Mm -hmm. southern uh, Methodist white congregation, and this African-American Methodist congregation, all along the same street 
a mile separating them. Wow. You know, <clears throat> exactly. Have, but having these similar experiences and also sort of falling victim to some of the, the economic situation of the day where you had a new generation that had some mobility, didn't want to stay in Prince Orchard anymore, was happy to move towards Washington, D.C., and mm-hmm. so they're all faced with how do they keep their doors open? And this was, a, a to your point, a particular challenge for the African-American church because the, the black church was such a central point in the African-American community. Yeah. This wasn't just a place to worship, but it was a place where when the rest of the world was telling you you couldn't, it was a place that could tell you that you could. Yeah, yeah. Jason, what you know? What were some of the stories that your grandmother shared with you about Quince Orchard and the neighborhood that she grew up in and the neighborhood that it became later on? Yeah, well, uh, so many of the stories, as you can imagine, talking with your grandparents, I feel like she was walking up both hill, you know, walking uphill both ways to school. <laughs> but, but what's amazing is that her schoolhouse, the one-room schoolhouse that she attended, still stands. Wow. So one of the stories that she told me that has influenced not just the, the film that we're doing, but really how I approach life, um, in 1868, three short years after the end of slavery, uh, a couple of um uh, black men, my great-great-grandfather being one of them. So this was a story to me. I didn't know it. Yeah. Um, in 1868, they acquired three acres of land in the Quince Orchard community. And if you go to the record books, when they went to deed that land, the purpose was to educate the colored population of Montgomery County forever. And when I had that conversation with my grandmother, I, I asked her, I was kind of surprised, you know, certainly there had to be a safer way. I thought that this, by, by being so blatant about their efforts, perhaps they were making a bullseye of themselves mm-hmm. for, for targets. And my grandmother uh, sort of responded, and, you know, swatting that idea away, and she said, you know, Jason, the black kids in the community needed a school. Yeah, yeah. And your great-great-great-grandfather and those other men looked around the community and they saw that need, and they were doers, and doers do. And yeah. it was just so profound and clear that these are people who didn't talk about what they needed to do. They, they went out and took action. And that's what you know really uh, embodies this community is a community of action that when faced with difficulties, they took action to make this community better. Well, and, and that's one of the things that I wanted to talk to, uh, with you about today is the fact that you know, you see so many communities um, that were once thriving crumble or or communities that, um, you know, are are communities that need help uh, get overtaken and uh, by other communities and they start to thrive. How did this community thrive even more over time? Yeah, so it's gone through an interesting evolution, and, it, and I think it actually manifests itself well through these churches. So um, the story that we're telling is of these three racially segregated churches that when faced with this forcing event, which was their economic status, mm-hmm. they ended up merging into one purposely integrated church. It just so happened that that final decision came down on April 4th, 1968, you know, the night that Martin Luther King was assassinated. Mm. Um, wow. Sort of making that, that decision, in my mind, all the crazier. But <clears throat> And so when you think about those three churches, there is some forlorn. There's you know, People look back and say, oh, but, you know, we, we had such tradition and love and memory for each of those individual churches, yeah. and it's a shame that they were lost. And another perspective is that they, they transitioned, right? They became part of something else and something new and something else vibrant. And I think that's the same way that, um, that people think about Quince Orchard. And there is, for sure, a, a forlorn and a longing for many of, the, many of the folks that live in Quince Orchard. We'll talk lovingly about uh, that rural community and that sense of community. But then they also recognize that they're part of something 
else now, that that spirit hasn't been lost. I think that's the critical component, uh, is to find a way to continue to maintain that, that ultimate current of, of community, of love, of mm-hmm. faith, that allowed uh, for the last 150 years, or for the first hundred of those 150 years that Quince Orchard communities survived, and to give what's now North Potomac an organizing principle, a yeah. story that they can tell and wrap their arms around. Yeah. Uh, Washington, D.C. is such a transient town, right? There's so many people that move in and out uh, and come from different areas. I am from Illinois. I know so many of my friends are from different parts of the country. But, you know, it it always fascinates me uh, when looking at a a specific community, uh, this one being Quince Orchard, that there are uh, several generations that still live in the town. You are, and I was, uh, you know, I was just amazed by this, a fifth generation uh, descendant within Quince Orchard, within that area. What is it about the community that you, that draws you to it, that keeps you there, that um, makes you say, I want to enrich this community, even after I've gone and worked in the Obama administration, even after I've gone to Yale, even after I've done all the things that I wanted to do? It's a great question, and I, like you, have sort of traveled the, the country. And my sister in this film, I think, um, even says this point better than I do. Uh, th- this is our, our generational responsibility. We are mm. we are heirs to a story, um, and and so that three acre site wasn't just purchased in 1868. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was purchased and its responsibility is passed down by generation and generation. Mm-hmm. And so there continues to be a trustee board that oversees it to this day. Um, my dad's the chairman of that trustee board, as his father was before him, as was his father before him. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just the fact that that trustee board exists. It's it's knowing that uh, for 150 years, our ancestors didn't just walk this land, toil it, plant seeds to watch them grow, but yeah. they did that to, with with us in mind. That, that caption that was <clears throat> to educate the colored population of Montgomery County forever wasn't just the generations that they could see. That was the generations with us in mind. And yeah, so when, yeah. when you realize that there are those that have come before you who have purposely made investments that you might prosper, then you have to do the same. And so it's our responsibility to your earlier question about how does this aesthetic of community survive? Well, we make that decision to make it survive every day. Yeah. This story is uh, is a personal one for you, Jason, uh, but it, it talks, you know, it, it has so many themes that can resonate throughout um, the United States. Again, talking about communities and um, families and generations um, that want to hold on to their traditions. What is the general theme or general um, rallying cry that you want to fulfill uh, in the completion of this film for people to see and for people to understand and appreciate about Quince Orchard? I think the, the important part, as you suggest, is that you know, we're living in a very fast society. People are feeling so connected digitally, but so disconnected personally. Mm-hmm. You have a, you know, rampant development that's occurring. And I think in many ways, people expect things to happen to them. Mm-hmm. And we talk about communities so much. We talk about, you know, um, you know. I thought that, that President Obama would make our uh, the world more united. I, I, you know, we're we're just as divided as we were before. Mm-hmm. And I think what he would say, and I think the takeaway from the film is that this is not a responsibility that belongs to any party, mm-hmm. that belongs to in, any institution, not even the church. Uh, this ability to reach across the aisle or across the street. 
uh, across the ideological aisle, um, that ability, and I would argue responsibility, is an individual one. And yeah, each yeah. Each of us have that ability to build community. And so I think the, the, the film's question to all of us is, what are you going to do to build community? Which is, you know, this idea of diverse people coming together with purpose is one of the strongest forces this earth has ever seen. <laughs> so what are you going to do to build it for those that don't look like you, may not pray like you, may not love like you, but have just as much value, worth, and belonging? What would you do to build that community? Yeah. We're talking with Jason Green. He is the director and co-producer of the Quince Orchard Project, uh, talking about Quince Orchard, the community in Maryland, and how they have changed and evolved and uh, the demographics have changed over time. Jason, you you said something just now that I want to kind of pick up on, uh, talking about the conversation, right? And, and talking about the fact that President Obama, a lot of people thought would unite the country and are feeling are feeling like uh, it's more divided than ever before. My thought and my theory of regarding this is that um, it, like you, it is up to the individual to change his or her beliefs towards one person, place or thing. And um, it, it has to start at the conversation. Right. It has to start at uh, individuals having conversations with each other and being able to empathize and understand where each other is coming from. You talked about the fact that the churches um, that were separate at one time meshed into one. How did that affect the conversation or how did how did your uh, parents, relatives um, you talk about when it first merged? How did that change how they viewed each other and how they they changed, they started to have those conversations with each other? Absolutely. And, and the reality is it's difficult. And you need some sort of uh, forcing event often. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be circumstance. It can be the, the status of the times. There was this financial uh, foreboding. Mm-hmm. Each of these ch- uh, churches was faced with a mortgage that they weren't going to be able to pay. Right, right. And so they started looking around their community to say, well, what are our options? Should I merge uh, with that northern church? Should I merge with that southern church and all their traditions? You know, these churches had, had fractured 100 years old, over, excuse me, earlier over the issue of slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, should I merge with that African-American church? And so <clears throat> that's what allowed the conversation at least to begin. And, and it, to your point, this only occurred through conversation. In yeah. fact, yeah. even after the churches merged, and each of those churches lost members. Wow, yeah. And this wasn't an easy thing. Yeah. Uh, each church immediately lost members, and even with those that were willing to try this new racial reconciliation experiment, um, one of my grandmother's siblings, her, her baby brother at 92, was telling me the story about how he refused to let dialogue be cut off. Anyone mm. who had something to say could say it. Yeah. And they wanted to know where they were coming from, what their concerns were, what their feelings were. This wasn't all racial. A lot of it was traditional. Some of it was financial. Some of it was, what is my standing? Mm-hmm. Um, I served as a trustee before. Will we get to have those same abilities here? African-American constituents were concerned about practical things. Would we have equal standing? If you're going to be president of this committee, will we be vice president? When we're president, will you be vice president? Mm-hmm, and so they mm-hmm. had to talk through all of these issues, but they were committed in faith, both religiously, but also with faith in each other, that because they had this familiarity, going back to everyone was living within a mile of each other, 
everyone relatively had the similar experience, this rural experience mm-hmm. being on the farm. One person was the mechanic, the other person uh, was the carpenter. So they would, <laughs> they would deal in that way, right? Someone was yeah. growing uh, pigs and cows, other guy was the butcher, and, and everyone was buying their meat in that way. So even though they were living in a segregated society, they knew one another, had some degree of familiarity, and, and I would even argue respect. So when you were having these conversations, there was there was something rooted there that allowed them to actually stay at the table and have them. Yeah, yeah. Jason Green, he is the director and co-producer of the Quince Orchard Project, a community in Maryland, and talking about how they have preserved their communities and flourished over time. Jason, you talked about the doers, right, and how these people uh, just got to work, and if things needed changing, they went and did it. And if things needed preservation, they, they went and did it. Um, who are the doers uh, of Quince Orchard now? Or, or have you talked to the doers that, that preserve that community? Absolutely. So I mentioned some of the trustees who have inherited uh, oversight of the Pleasant View Historic Site. So just for your listeners, the Pleasant View Site, which is right on Darnstown Road, if you're heading from Rockville towards Darnstown, you'll pass right on it. And it's a three-acre site, and on that site, you've got the old Quince Orchard Colored School. Mm -hmm. This is the one-room schoolhouse that was uh, opened in 1868. And at one point in that one-room schoolhouse, you know, there were 112 students across seven grades. So imagine that. And then you also have the Pleasant View Methodist Episcopal Church, which is there, as well as the grave site. And you look through the grave site that's on this property, and you have graves dating back to, you know, the the, the mid uh, to late 1800s. Well, there's still a trustee group that oversees that site mm. when when there are economic woes, and there are, and these are 150-year-old properties, when uh, the pipes burst last winter, when the roof on the church uh, wore out, they dig into their pockets mm-hmm. uh, because they know that as ancestors did before them, it's their responsibility to, to keep this rich history alive. And what I want to see is to make that history more accessible and relevant and available to the surrounding communities. But you still have a population of people there. And it's not just that trustee group. Frankly, I was at the site today and someone pulled over. Someone stopped at the site because they said, you know, I never see any cars here. Yeah. And I wanted to let you know that I would love to help with um, the landscaping. And so I'm going to make a commitment, that commitment was in the form of uh, $20,000, where they're going to provide landscaping on the south side of that site uh, to make it more accessible to okay. the community. So again, you have these individuals who recognize that this is a, a big piece of history that yeah. they want to contribute to. Yeah, yeah. We're talking with Jason Green. He is the director and co-producer of the Quince Orchard Project. And you are the co-producer with your sister, right? That's right. Uh, and, and uh, you know, you said at first you were kind of dragging um, as far as, uh, you know, trying to figure out what to do with this project. And it wasn't until your grandmother got sick that um, you went forward with it. What kind of propels you to finish it? And what's the the final completion date or what's your expected date? And, and how can we see this? Yeah. And, uh, on my wrist right now, I have a bracelet that says doers do. Mm. Derived directly from that story of my grandmother. And, and, and I think. She didn't know exactly why she was telling it to me. She was conveying it, but it's a mantra that now encompasses our film. This is about 
lifting up those doers in each of our communities who are the ones that we always know are out there getting yeah. things done to make sure that we're able to succeed. And so that's the, that's the driving force around the film. We are in late stages of editing right now, and we're going to have the film out um, this spring, and are looking forward to celebrating the 149th anniversary of the purchase of the, the Pleasant View Historic Site. This mm, nice. Uh, and we're, we'll be releasing the film in preparation for the sesquicentennial celebration of that site, which will be taking place next year. Nice, nice. Jason Green, director and co-producer of the Quince Orchard Project. If people want to learn more about the Quince Orchard Project, where do they go, Jason? We would love, love, love to have people learn more about the project and uh, tell us, share their stories. If you're from Quince Orchard or if you want to support us in any way, you can go to www.thequinceorchardproject.com. All right. Thank you so much, Jason Green, director and co-producer with his sister, Keisha Davis, The Quince Orchard Project. Check it out online and, and learn more about this community in Maryland. Thank you so much, Jason, for joining us on Enlighten Me today. Thank you so much. Catch you guys next week on Enlighten Me. Let life in with open arms, with love and with an open heart. We got to remember, we'll stay strong forever. Like soldiers, we stand up. Remember when Tupac told us, keep our head up. And even when the times get rough, we get up. Treat your life like a stage, you ahead to tear it up. Pass the mic, pass the mic, let us come through. Don't ever, ever let them stop or try to block you. You gotta tell them you're something better than any other. You never settle, you next level, yeah, you're making moves. Put your hands up high. This is you and I, T-Y. Yo, yo, this is how I go. Funding for WERA is provided by Rust Insurance Agency, LLC, a locally owned independent insurance agency since 1889. For more information, visit rustinsurance.com.